Hello, friends. It's yours truly, Akiandea Dereli. And I had the pleasure of a few weeks ago sitting down and chatting, uh, virtually of course, with the executive director of the Nigerian Rural Electrification Fund. Um, it was a thoroughly phenomenal conversation. I really enjoyed talking to him about the effort to electrify uh, rural Nigeria and the unique approach the Nigerian government is taking to do so. Um, now, this is a really cool episode because it's also a reflection of how many other African countries are approaching rural e electrification with varying degrees of, of success so far. Um, but it does give you an insight into how the governments are thinking about how to uh, give access to electricity to more of the population and continue to improve the uh, quality of life and the access to uh, the commonwealth of internet, etc., etc., to their populations. Uh, now, Dr. Sanusi O'Hire was kind enough to sit down with me and talk to me for a few minutes. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed this and I hope you enjoy it too. Um, all the information to find him and us will be in the links in the bio and um, feel free to hit us up at Pod Save Africa on Instagram. Thank you very much and talk to you soon. To Pod Save Africa. Welcome 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 to Pod Save Africa. Hello, welcome back to Port Save Africa. It's your host, Akande Adirile, and I have the honor of being here with Dr. Sanusi Ohere. He's the uh, executive director of the Rural Electrification, Electrification Fund in Nigeria, oftentimes titled just the REF. Um, you'll hear that multiple times on this call, my listeners. Um, doctor, how about you introduce yourself briefly to my listeners? Oh, thank you very much, Akin. Um, I'm Dr. Sanusi Ohere. Uh, like you said, I'm the executive director of the Rural Electrification Fund, which is under the Rural Electrification Agency of Nigeria. And uh, the agency basically, you know, is in charge of providing, promoting and supporting rural uh, electrification across, you know, Nigeria. And for those of you that are not aware, Nigeria is basically second to, I think, India in, in the entire world in terms of those that don't have... Uh, a number of those that live you know in darkness without electricity right. so <clears throat> it was important for the government to create this agency in 2005 which uh, was basically created from an act of parliament called the electric power sector reform act right. you know for the agency to solely uh, i mean in addition to efforts from the state governments as well you know focus on providing electricity to those 83 plus million Nigerians that currently don't have access to it. So uh, it's a huge um, 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 job, uh, responsibility. Uh, but it's also for us, we see it as an opportunity to contribute our quota to, you know, so, uh, providing this very critical commodity to Nigerians. And also a huge opportunity for businesses, uh, jobs to be created and businesses to, 
you know, to 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 open up and thrive in this space. Yeah. So in summary, that's uh, um, the mandate, and that's uh, that's what I do really. Awesome, awesome. So so it's kind of interesting because the the REF appears to work almost like an like an IFC or an IMF in terms of funding and supporting businesses, evaluating and supporting businesses that go to uh, 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 implement electrification uh, projects in, in rural areas. Is that how it works? And can you explain what those mechanics yeah, are? So let me just give you a bit of context. Uh, Nigeria used to operate a vertically integrated uh, electricity uh, sector, whereby the government was in charge of, of providing uh, generating electricity, transmitting it, and distributing it to households. Hmm. Uh, it was, and also in charge of rural electrification. But due to some clamor, you know, from citizens, experts, they felt like that system wasn't uh, delivering, you know, electricity to homes as quickly as we wanted to, because obviously the government didn't have all of the funds, you know, to do that. So there was a clamor for regulation, and, and also in addition to, you know, not having funds. Issues of lack of planning, issues of you know um, corruption, the the fact that the agency then under the Nigerian Electric Electric Power Authority was huge, bogus, you know, not properly managed. Uh, the plan was now to introduce a regulation into the space and then unbundle the sector. So in two thousand and five, that act that I mentioned earlier, the Electric Power mm -hmm. Sector Reform Act, basically uh, provided this new platform or structure for the sector whereby generation has now been privatized uh, it's now being sold to private companies uh, transmission is still with the government and then distribution have also been unbundled and uh, into 11 uh, new electric distribution companies and also sold to private um, um, developers so but because only about 50 55 percent of nigeria is concurrently connected to the grid Wow. which like i just mentioned yeah. has been unbundled we still had a close to 50 45 percent of the country that was completely not connected so in the wisdom of the government they felt we needed to have an agency like the rural electrification agency you know to provide uh, electricity to those people that still don't have that off the grid because the uh, immediate of course objective of the developers that bought the distribution companies from the old structure would be to strengthen the existing grid that they have, mm -hmm. try and maximize profit from it, and before thinking of expanding to any other areas. Uh, so government didn't want to leave this very important aspect to the whims and caprices of uh, uh, the uh, new uh, electricity distribution companies. Mm -hmm. So that's why we, we were created. And government also didn't want to continue doing it the old way you know where um we basically we're, we're just extending the grid to all of these rural communities and sometimes these rural communities are very are in remote areas you needed to you know um, um construct distribution lines of 20 30 40 kilometers to, to just a few hamlets which didn't really make economic sense so we felt if uh, the new area uh, that was created was going to really succeed we needed to partner with private developers, uh, which is where the Rural Education Fund came in, um, to provide some sort of capital subsidy as opposed to providing 100% of funds for EPC and not having sustainability, sustainability or an end plans, right? Yeah. So instead of doing that, we would now just provide some capital 
yeah, the cost of uh, yeah, doing you know, business, ease it, and then also reduce the tariff. Um, so basically, this is the intention. So government is looking at sustaining the businesses, is looking mm -hmm. at uh, spending, spending money efficiently, is also looking at you know, targeted solutions and technologies, specifically off-grid, like yep. uh, mini-grids, not necessarily extending the grid everywhere, where you, you could just go to a village uh, that is 20, 30 kilometers away from the nearest grid, and uh, put a small mini grid system there from solar, okay. so like a solar hybrid system where you generate um, electricity from from the sun, and uh, using maybe backup batteries and maybe uh, a generator, and mm -hmm. you can give them 24 hours electricity in that wow. village of say 400, 500 households or 1,000 households. Okay. So it's more viable economically, and then it gives them uh, a, a 24 hours electricity. Uh, it helps to galvanize the economy of uh, the rural community because businesses would spring up. Um, you know, the night economy, of course, will be developed as well. Yeah. Kids can now read, read well at night. Uh, they create jobs as well for them. Um, income is enhanced. So for us, this is the kind of ripple effect, economic effect that we want to be seeing in all of, uh, you know, one era that we spend in any of the projects in our so we, we consider all of this holistically uh, while we invest. And like you said, yeah, we get our sources of funding from different places. You mentioned IFC World Bank. Um, we, discuss, uh, uh, we discussed with the World Bank a few years ago. Okay. And uh, right now they have a program under the Nigerian Electrification, called the Nigerian Electrification Program, where they're providing $350 million uh, for us to carry on with some of these activities I've mentioned. Wow. Uh, part of it is to fund universities. Uh, we have about 37 universities that we are funding, but uh, mm -hmm. the World Bank is only going to provide funding for, I think, eight of them. Okay. Um, um, we have uh, the um, uh, mini-grids as well that I mentioned, where grants will be given uh, for, for capital subsidies. Okay. And then we have solar home systems for extremely remote places that where uh, mini-grids would even not be viable, wow. you know, for for the people to also have some sort of electricity. We, the Africa Development Bank also complemented the World Bank with $200 million you know, to support some of these activities. Uh, these were loans really to the federal government of Nigeria, but given to us in RUA to use to carry out some of these activities. And the Rural Education Fund uh, is also funded from uh, the regulator, uh, the Nigerian Electricity Regulatory Commission. Okay. Um, because the act envisaged that, uh, you know, the, the fund needed multiple streams of funding for it to be sustainable. So we get money from the budget, from the regulator. So the regulator basically is supposed to determine a certain rate that licensees, all of the licensees within the space, uh, the, uh, the larger electricity industry now would uh, um, um, sort of deposit in the fund. But that had not been done. And also the excess, the surplus, yearly surplus after auditing the account of the regulator okay. uh, is also supposed to come to the fund. And all of the fines, whenever they find any licenses or some sort of infractions, all of those funds uh, are supposed to come to the, to the relocation fund. Uh, we've received some fines and some few surpluses, but we haven't uh, received the larger chunk, which I feel uh, is that certain rate you know, that should be determined by, uh, by the regulator in terms of what the licenses, you know, should pay uh, uh, the fund. 
from the market. Okay. Uh, so we are still in discussions with the regulator to see how this could be done. As you know, the larger electricity market in Nigeria is having liquidity challenges. And yeah. Uh, they are in the middle of consultations on how um, maybe the tariff can be made to be uh, a cost completely cost reflective. And that's the only way when people are actually paying for the what, cost of the electricity, you know, the cost of what, of the electricity, actual cost. You know, plus the margin that the distribution companies and everyone across the value chain are supposed to make. Mm-hmm. That's when you see that it becomes a bit, you know, viable. And uh, that is the only time they can also help uh, the fund to, you know, determine a certain. So we're we discussing with them and hopefully that could be done. We also get funding from the National Assembly, the yearly budget of uh, mm. of the country. And that's what we have, have used in addition to the World Bank funding and the African Development Bank funding so far, okay. you know, to try and yeah deploy all of these projects. Awesome. So so now you guys have there's this great responsibility. All these uh, large institutions are giving you money, some of which are, are loans to the country of Nigeria itself. Um, I imagine that the process of evaluating projects to 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 support and to fund must be quite thorough. Um, what does that yes. process look like, if you don't mind? Okay, so aside from the Bureau of Public uh, Procurement in Nigeria, which already has very stringent measures uh, and uh, criteria for um, um, basically procuring anything in, in Nigeria, mm-hmm. you can check out the act. It's called the um, uh, Public Procurement Act, PPA 2007. Okay. Look through it, you see it already has, every government agency has to stick to that. However, if uh, international donors like World Bank is bringing in funding, you know, the World Bank has also has its own set of yeah. conditions. Mm-hmm. You know, we are flexible enough to discuss and work with the World Bank to maybe adopt what they feel is, is, is very critical to them in terms of their procurement and in terms of uh, their monitoring of the project and fund disbursement, all of those things. And then maybe even have some of, you know, their staff uh, as part of the pool you know managing the project so for instance for the world bank we have a project monitoring unit uh, which is basically largely world bank uh, um, um sort of uh, employed uh, staff okay uh, they are managing that project so it's the the agency and the fund is that flexible really to allow for multiple streams of programs under very different you know flexible um procurement sort of uh, criterias sitting side by side to meet the objectives of the various people that are providing the funding. So the World Bank one will be tailored towards World Bank criteria, okay. which is internationally uh, renowned. The African Development yeah. Bank one is also tailored towards that way. And as you know, they have offices in Nigeria and they monitor all of this. All and the then the government funding is tailored through, towards the uh, Public Procurement Act of 2007 in Nigeria, which is also internationally renowned for you know being very stringent. So. It starts from the process of you know soliciting um, for proposals or expression of interest. Okay. Uh, people submit proposals. Uh, it's evaluated, uh, you know, to see if it meets some basic criteria. You need to have some documents. You need to have some technical uh, experience and know-how, and uh, the capacity as well to do that. And if you're shortlisted, you get to the next stage where you're doing financials to see if you have the. Part funding, for instance, or if you have the capacity or you have people that can support you 
banks or institutions, financial institutions, right. willing to support you to, to bring your own part of the equity or debt uh, for the projects. Because we are giving part grants. We're not giving 100% grants. So yeah. if your project is, say, $10,000, for instance, we can give up to $7,500 or $5,000 or whatever, based on the viability gap we, we feel you require okay. for you to be able to do your project. So all of these things are done um, um, in a very methodical way and various levels of approvals are given before shortlisted candidates are, are sort of uh, um, um, I'm called to come and participate. So it's very strange that it takes uh, minimum six to uh, 12 months uh, wow. to be able to go through the entire process. Okay. You know, so, yeah. Now, so, now interesting question. Um, what does the typical project look like? How many, how many homes are being provided for um, what type of, because you guys have a 30% renewable goal, which I think is, is incredible. I mean, that's beating a lot of the international standards at this time. Um, but, okay, so but, you, typically, uh, for an extremely rural community, uh, we'll typically see like 400, 500, 300 households okay. uh, living in a cluster. Um, so maybe a hundred uh, kilowatt peak uh, solar homes, solar mini grid would be deployed for those sort of households. But if uh, the the larger they get, then the, the more the capacity of, of the households. Well, these are just typical from the experience we've seen between 80, 90, 100 kilowatt systems for a 300, 400, 500 household range. Mm-hmm. And this for and we use uh, uh, between six and seven. Uh, uh, people per household as the benchmark. When you multiply by seven, 400, 500 households, you see you're having like 3,000, 3,500 people within yeah. you know, a community. So that's typically the sizes in Nigeria so far. So okay. it, could range, it could range from 30 kilowatts to 100 to over 100, depending on uh, the, 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 the size of the community, really. That's for the mini grids. But for the solar home systems, um, it also depends. They are more scanty, so you could see 200 households in a, in a very small cluster, and then you deploy, or 100 here. It depends on the, um, the distance between the households, really. Uh, you could see uh, 50 here and 50 in, uh, 500 meters or two, uh, one kilometer away, like that, scattered just all around. Maybe like farm communities where you just have a few households that are not clustered in say 500, 400 households together. So um, that's the typical size that we, we tend to see. But for our programs for universities, of course, those ones are in the megawatt range. Uh, so um, from, from I think the least one that we have is about 2 point something megawatts to 8 megawatts or something, depending on the size of the university. So those are a bit on the megawatt scale. And also for the markets, we have the, I didn't mention earlier, a program called the Energizing Economies Market. The mm-hmm. one for the university is called the Energizing Education Program. So for the Energizing Economies, we are looking at uh, providing support to, for private, uh, wholly private, uh, uh, it's a wholly private initiative really, uh, but we we'll basically just help them to create, you know, that enabling environment for them to be able to, to invest. So you go to, for instance, the area market in Aba. Um, Abia State, which is for me the largest uh, single market in, I, I think, West, the whole of West Africa, because yeah. it has, I think, about 32,000 stores. Wow. Uh, we're providing electricity yeah, to them. 
uh, through gas and it's funded by private guys that we just basically brought together they did the uh, distribution um, as you can imagine all of these stores had their own individual generators yeah, so yeah. Uh, for us to bring in just a single unit and do the distribution for the entire market and also uh, meter all of the stores and everybody is now using clean at least a cleaner form of energy yeah. and without all the noise and the pollution of generators you know so that's a step forward and in Kano we have the Sabongeri Kano which is I think about 10,000 or 12,000 stores mm. where we also deploy in solar uh, solutions right yeah. Uh, and then in Lagos, the Shomulu, the Sura market, a couple of other, Ipori market, a couple of other markets, even in Abuja, the Wuse market. Mm. So all over the country, we are, um, we are supporting private guys that want to go into this sort of uh, clusters, uh, market clusters to, you know, um, to give them 24 hours electricity. So help them with the licenses, you know, the uh, ESIA, um, all of those, you know, government related sort of support we just basically help help them to push through and get it and then do their investment so the idea of the area is also not just to invest money but also to create the opportunity for people that are willing to go into this sector that are passionate about the sector and then have innovation or technologies to offer you know we, we help you to really uh, come in and settle in well and then invest Awesome. Now, quick question, just for those listeners that might be curious, interested, passionate about uh, th this type of thing, just like you described, what, what, what are the steps they have to do other than, you know, they have the education, they have the qualification or the experience to, to set up this kind of project. And, 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 you know, on the back end, are these companies making profits? Um, are they able to self-sustain these projects fairly successfully over time? Um, and basically, what what should they what should they prospective be? How should a prospective be prepared so that they can um, take part in something like this in, in uh, electrifying rural Nigeria? Yes, the markets, uh, like I mentioned earlier, on um, eighty three million people don't have access to electricity. It sounds huge, but that's a market. Uh, yes. Nigeria is a very peculiar market because even in the so called rural communities. Uh, uh, Nigerians are enterprising. Everyone is doing business, one form of small and some SME, small and medium enterprise, or farming, or you know, or some sort of grinding, if processing. Businesses are always going on in various parts of the country, be it urban or rural. So that's one thing that Nigerians have going for them. So, and that's the kind of um, um, data that investors want to see. They want to see that people have the willingness and the ability to pay. As opposed to some other African countries that we have, you know, um, I'm sort of researched, uh, the, the ability to pay is not really there. But in Nigeria, even in the rural, extremely rural communities, you would see some sort of business happening, right? And these people are already using diesel generators, they're using uh, petrol generators, which are not clean and healthy. So now the business case is to replace all of these uh, sort of unclean technologies that they already use which will still enhance their businesses and maybe uh, at a cheaper rate. And you still make your money as an investor. So the, the, the people are there, uh, the willingness and ability to pay the electricity is very critical. Everybody craves uh, steady, stable electricity for their homes and their businesses. Uh, so if you're coming in to invest, the, what was missing before was all oh, the political will wasn't there, all the, uh, the regulations weren't there. 
But in the last two, three, four years, all of these regulations, policies, and of course, this government has demonstrated enough uh, political will. Uh, the government of Buhari, mm -hmm. you know, uh, put the right people in, in in the agencies to to drive this. Young people, especially, you know, yeah. uh, um, my former MD uh, Damilola, who has now moved to the SC for All as uh, uh, the CEO of the Sustainable Energy for All in UN. Uh, she was young. Uh, and then when she was moving on, another new, a new MD just came in, uh, Ahmad Salihijo, who is also very young, he's just 36. And I'm the executive director, he became executive director there at 32. Wow. So the president recognizes, you know, uh, the talent that needs to do this job and then puts them in the right place. And then we've been pushing all of this for the last three, four years. And also with the new MD coming in just uh, in December last year. Mm -hmm. He's also very passionate about pushing this through and uh, all of the stakeholders that we need to engage. They're very happy, you know, to support. And, you know, the, 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 they just need to come in if they want, you know, to invest, if they have all it takes. If they need to write to us, most times they don't even need to write to us. They don't even need us, really. But we are open if they need us. It's a free market. It's an open market. Um, and that's what we see. Uh, how that's how we envisage that the market would be just like any other market uh, forces of demand or supply should drive price and should drive you know this market so in the interim we are here to show people that i mean there is money to be made here and there's business you know here so if if you come in but you also need to um understand the very nature of uh, a rural electrification business it is not uh, you know like the conventional ones that you know, you, you need to really understand it a bit. That's something that every business person would want to take his time to understand. Yeah. And then once you, you get your business model right, you get all your, your numbers right. It's a free market, really. You can invest. But if you, need help, if you need help from the agency, you can always go to our website. You see who to write to. You can write to the MD directly. You can write to me. Yeah. I will look for how we, or whatever area of support you need, we can always... Uh, uh, we're always ready to to give you that support. Otherwise, it's a free market. You just do your numbers, come in, set up shop, and then invest. Wow. Okay. That's, uh, that sounds excellent. I think um, a lot of folks probably, and just to commend you on this conversation so far, um, this process is generally quite opaque to the average person, um, mm -hmm. primarily because people don't search to find out. Uh, yeah, I guess. it's not on the news every day necessarily. It's just um, yeah. it's very illuminating. And I think my listeners are going to enjoy this uh, quite thoroughly. Uh, now, I am, I am actually curious. You, you mentioned, you know, you're, you're 32, you're, you're MD 36. Uh, how exactly, for you personally, how exactly did you get to this point? Um, why have you decided to come? Well, I, was, I was 32 when I, when I became ED. That was uh, three years ago. I okay. was 17. Okay. So I'm 35 now. Okay. Okay. That's so remarkably young for somebody at that level of leadership in, in uh, yeah, yeah. Um, to be honest, it's all it all started as a uh, passion. Um, I've always been one that seeks solutions. You know, just growing up, I grew up under you know parents that always made me to think of solutions and uh, think of contributing my quota, hmm. you know, to my country and to the world, to my community, really. And uh, one of the areas that caught my attention, and I think this is the same for every kid that grew, grew up, uh, grows up in Nigeria, mm -hmm. um, the epileptic nature of power supply, 
yeah. it's something that everybody's concerned about. So um, it's a service that Nigerians don't really enjoy uh, the way they ought to. So growing up, as someone that grew up in, 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 a, in a remote area that didn't have constant electricity, I always wondered why it was so difficult you know, to provide electricity. And that curiosity stayed with me all the way to university. I did my, uh, my undergrad in economics here in Nigeria, University of Jos. And I did a course, uh, energy economics, uh, I think in my final year, talking okay. about uh, generally the energy sector and the electricity sector. And that really spurred my interest. So from there, from there I um, decided I was going to do a master's and maybe a PhD in basically just researching on how we can solve this energy challenge. And that's how I ended up in Scotland, where I did my master's in the University of Dundee in energy finance. And mind you, I realized the electricity sector generally had a problem. But at the time I was going to do my master's, and my, uh, I realized that a part of it, which is the, the greed-connected part, you know, was largely being looked into by various experts. So okay. I said, okay, fine. I'm giving them benefit of doubt that all of these eggheads and brains working on the grid side will get it right. Which yeah. side is really suffering, which is where the passion and my concern from the, for the rural people came into play. So I felt like, okay, so if all, everybody's talking about all oh, the grid, how about the 55 or the 45% of Nigerians that don't have electricity? Who is talking about, yeah, who is talking about, you know, providing uh, access to electricity to them? And I was really worried because I, re I knew that these are the people, the most vulnerable that needed, the, those are the you know, bottom of the ladder that needed this the most because it will help their businesses, help their livelihood, health-wise, education-wise, and all of this, especially women, uh, women and children. So I decided, okay, I, I want to study what the problem is. And then I, in my research, I realized planning, having the adequate, even the genuine data, and then funding, you know, for, 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 for the projects so I had the problem. So I decided, okay, I do something in energy finance. Okay, you want to finance energy projects. How do you get the funds and all? I did that master's level. And then I got really interested. And at my PhD level, I moved, uh, I started in Dundee, but then later moved to Leicester. Okay. And then it was on rural energy development. Okay. So it's wow. just pure curiosity and just passion and then the, the drive to look for solutions, you know, to solve the problem that led me to, you know, studying this, you know. So after my PhD, I, I realized I was the only one that had a PhD in that entire field in Nigeria because um, nobody had done any study. In fact, it was very difficult for me to find literature to review in Nigeria during my PhD. So... Uh, uh, and then it became, and most of the recommendations that I did there, in fact, I did the very first special electricity planning um, research uh, at my PhD level for the country. Wow. This is a research that uh, consultants from Columbia University, uh, there's an arts institute there uh, with one professor, he, he usually does this kind of research for various African countries as consultants. So, uh, and for the largest, uh, biggest African country in Nigeria, for me to do that at PhD level, I did the research for um, what kind of technologies, for instance, should we be using in various parts of Nigeria mm. and how much would it cost, right? I did yeah. that for the entire country. I did that for every state, the 36 states in Nigeria plus yeah. the FCC. 
What was the total, if you don't mind sharing? <laughs> what was it was in the billions of dollars. Then it was in the billions of dollars. But mind you, that was the first time. So the data available wasn't accurate enough to give me very specific. So mm-hmm. that was just the beginning of my drive. So when I came back, I worked with uh, uh, the bulk trader for a bit, Nigerian bulk trader. But that wasn't really where my passion was. So I was looking for programs dealing with rural electrification and data collection and funding. So the German International Corporation Agency, uh, GIZ, they were the only ones doing a program called the Nigerian Energy Support Program. It was funded by the EU and German government. So they, they saw what I had done at PhD level. They were interested, so they called me, and then we started working on you know, uh, just very specific things that I had done in my PhD. For instance, uh, how can we gather the data, the right data for the entire country? Um, to know where the people that need this electricity are in terms of rural spaces, to map it, you know, and then know the demand, do a demand assessment for the community so that we'll know exactly what sizes of vinegars they need and how much it will cost. How can we now do this for the entire country and plan as a government to say, oh, we need $10 billion for the entire country, or for instance, you know, and then make that fund available so that we can scale up, right? What kind of regulations do we need? What kind of tools and institutions do we need? The Rural Education Fund is there. Has it really worked well? Why hasn't it worked well? What do we need to do to make it work? Honestly, I was doing all these things then, just, you know, at my PhD level, I did the research. Then at GIZ level, I was just supporting government, you know, uh, to put all of these policies and regulations in place. Oh, the mini regulation is not there. So below one megawatt, we should be able to do a mini regulation that allows and eases investors to come in. So I did all of these things, the rural education strategy and implementation plan also, I was part of all. So while I was there, having done all of this, so it, my journey has been, okay, that of seeking solutions and research, I did the research, and then I came in through an international donor to put some of the policies that were missing in place and regulations, and then try and uh, do like a preliminary database of how we can proceed and the funding needed. And then I was now appointed from the, by the government to come and implement all of these things that we had done. Wow. So it's a very peculiar, that's, it's a very peculiar. It's quite so you know, <laughs> yes, story. And I count myself, I count myself really lucky because I mean, look at the trajectory. It's not everybody that does the research and really has a, an opportunity to, to be part of implement. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. So I count myself extremely, you know, Lucky. And while the government was appointing, they didn't really care whether I was young or whatever. They just needed somebody that can solve the solution. And I think this is the way that governments should really begin to think in Nigeria. We have a lot of young people that have something to offer. I'm just lucky to be discovered and put here in the area. We have millions of Nigerians, young people that are doing wonderfully well. Some of them are outside this country, some of them within the country. Government just needs to be able to tap into um, these resources and get the best of them to be able, you know, to help government and, you know, also contribute their own quota to developing the country. I agree. I agree. It's uh, it's kind of one thing I've realized while in this podcast for a few years now is just the, the amount of passion there is out there for the country. Um, it's just finding the right way to incentivize people to to come do the work and, exactly. and make it better. And it's excellent to see that okay. you're a case study in, in that. Uh, yeah. Now my final two questions. I uh, want I appreciate you sharing your story. I think that's really 
are encouraging for a lot of folks who, who are interested, who don't really understand what it means to enter the, the uh, support system of the government and to help make change. Mm -hmm. um, now, my, yeah, now my next two questions are really about the broader, broader goals of the REF. You know, what, what, what's your goal? What are your goals, would you say, over the next 10, say, 20 years? Is it, you know, let's, let's get that 55% down to, you know, I, don't, I actually don't know no, how. The government, yeah, the government has a goal uh, towards 2030, okay. which is to provide 90% uh, access, you know, in line with the UN Sustainable Energy Program. So we are looking at minimum. We should be able to provide 90% um, access to electricity for all rural Nigerians. And then 30% renewable energy, you know, uh, 30 mega, uh, gigawatts, all those vision, 30, 30, 30, yeah. Um, and the only way we can do this is to scale up what we're really doing. So we need to get more fundings, not just from government, not just from international donors, but from local banks. We want everybody to come in. We, the idea of the REF is to prove that this business is actually viable. Exactly viable, yeah. Exactly. Concessional, maybe support from... So the banks, for instance, uh, local commercial banks need to start thinking of rural um, electrification as a business that is viable, but not something you can get your money back within a year or two. Yes, you need to awesome. structure your yeah your funding in such a way that you're looking at the four years, but then you're also providing. Look at the um, the ripple effect of the of of your investment, creating jobs in rural communities, mm -hmm. which will uh, reduce poverty, uh, enhance income, uh, enhance healthcare, education. So if you need patient kind of funding. So this patient funding comes in from the commercial bank at scale to our developers to invest in rural communities at a concessionary rate that is not the usual 24, 25%, maybe something at 15%. And then in, yeah, the moratorium time is increased. All of those uh, payment, uh, net, uh, payment times are increased to maybe four years or thereabout. Then you see that we can easily scale up. Because the truth is the Rural Education Fund doesn't have all of the money to scale at the scale that we want to go before 2030. So the idea is to use the little that we have to show everyone that, hey, this it's business can work. Awesome. So ultimately, we will just you know, fizzle out and allow the market you know, uh, operate on that wow. uh, demand and supply basis. So if you uh, so we don't need to, yeah. you disappear. That's interesting. Yeah, exactly. So I would I would be jobless in a few ah, years. If, come on. If the market will, and I would happily I would happily exit because if the market is working, the people are having electricity in rural communities, businesses are thriving, and then I've done my job. I can retire, right? There you go. So yeah, yeah so I think that's the goal for us, um, um for us in REA to see that the market is stabilized and we scale up as quickly as possible. And the scaling up will come from multiple streams of funding. Uh, donors, the government, but ultimately commercial um, banks and you know private equity. Awesome. Now, now, final question: How how can how can or second to last question? How can Nigerians um, and Nigerians listen to this? How can they support the REF? How can they learn about the REF? Um, if people want to get involved, understand this process, or so even young kids, honestly, position they can. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. So for we have various programs. Um, Okay, the first point will be to go to our website, rea.gov.ng, rea.gov.ng. Um, we have a lot of information there. And then if you still need further information, you can contact uh, us through uh, you know, the emails on our website. 
but we also advertise a lot of programs uh, that we we offer for instance for all of the universities we are providing electricity to we are trained we are building a training center for renewable energy and during the process uh, we are constructing the program we have 20 female engineers because we are trying to encourage women in the space that would be trained in each of the universities so 37 times training you know so that's the number of the initial sets of, of women that will be that will pilot you know um at the training and afterwards the training centers are there well equipped for people to come and learn about renewable energy and all of those in the universities are interested can take courses and get certificates in renewable energy and we have a database of all of them so that when they graduate they can go for further training and become experts in, in this field and of course we would also create avenues for them to support the UMD is also um, um, discussing and thinking of ways we can encourage startups because the procurement law makes it very difficult for people that don't have experience like startups yeah. right to uh, participate so what we are trying to do is how can we do a specific program to encourage startups which is something in the few uh, in the next uh, uh, maybe well with this coronavirus i'm not sure when but and if you, in the coming months uh, would be uh, we'll fine tune and then maybe advertise and see how people can come in Excellent. you know um but the first point of call would be to uh, please check our website you have our emails there if you need to reach out to anybody um you know you you and then we can we can um we can uh, get back awesome awesome thank you so much and then um just just out of curiosity this isn't really a question as part of the thing but when i'm sure you you guys get to meet a lot of uh, many counterparts yeah, having... yes yeah i'm back now sorry i lost you for a bit so okay we're yes. very active on social very active on social media as well and people can always reach out to us via our social media handles awesome awesome are you and i'll add your social media and the show notes um if that's okay um, yeah, please. Very good. That's okay. So, um, curiosity for because I have a, a huge chunk of non-Nigerian listeners as well, um, or actually eighty-eight countries roughly all over the world, across the uh -huh. continent. Do you see many other governments start to take similar roles? Are there um, people that are, are kind of starting to build things similar to the area and the area? Uh, to be to be honest, uh, the area. REF in Nigeria is not the only active REA to be honest. We only started becoming active say three years ago, three, four years ago when, the, when we came on board because of the initiatives and innovations that we brought on, on board. In fact, we had to also learn from other countries. For instance, uh, Tanzania already had a very good structure okay. uh, of the Rural Education Fund. I had to borrow some, some, some things in terms of how they structured their um, beads because the DFID, uh, you know, of the UK supported them in setting it up. So I just basically learned from them and then we're able to set up our own in terms of the operational guidelines and all of those for us to run as. But now, because although they were not as successful um, as we were in implementing, so I think the advantage we have now is that, okay, they had all the structures, but not very success uh, successful in implementing, but we learned from them, but we're, we are being very successful in implementing. Excellent. So now there's there's that opportunity for peer learning. Um, over the last two years, a couple of African countries we've engaged uh, have come, Uganda, Zambia, Ghana. Um, we sit down, we do workshops. Uh, sometimes these workshops are facilitated by 
um, the GIZ, uh, uh, DFI, the World Bank, yeah. and we, we, we share ideas. We, we do like some peer learning um, um, exp uh, sharing. So uh, we see and we attend very similar workshops all, all over Africa, all over the continent, uh, where that has to do with off-grid uh, mini-grid, uh, the renewable energy sector. We all get to share our experiences in terms of what we are doing. Um, and uh, so far, that's how we've been doing it. And Liberia also, I think they came, wanted us to really come down there and help them set the Royal Efficient Fund up there. So we are open because we also had to learn to get here. So we're open to also learning and sharing with other African countries. Um, the good thing, the things that we're doing that we're getting right, uh, the ones that we didn't get so right, we also let them know so that they can adjust. Uh, ultimately, I believe if Nigeria being the uh, most populous uh, African country gets it right, uh, other, other, other African countries can easily, you know, also follow suit. So we are ready to play that role um, and then we're open to supporting anyone really that, that wants to learn. Awesome. Awesome. Now, my uh, final question, I ask all my guests, my guests, um, based on your experience, uh, the time and the passion and the energy you've committed to this over the last um, few years, um, what would you say you are? It's a two-sided question. So what would you say you're optimistic about? And also, what, what gives you reason for caution? Um, what, what do you say you're con that concerns you um, based on your experience so far? Well, I'm, I'm an optimistic person. Um, what I've realized is that governance is not very difficult. I mean, it's not impossible. It's difficult, but it's not impossible. But with the right people and the right mindset and the will, you know, people can actually make that impact and make the change, especially in Africa and Nigeria, that people think some things are alien, you know, to us. They can actually achieve, you know, the kind of lifestyle they see for themselves, build a good future for their children. If you give the right people the right opportunity, so I'm optimistic because I've seen it. I've been there. Honestly, it's 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 difficult, but it's not impossible. You can make that impact if the right people are there. And what gives me cause for caution is um, our mentality as young people. Um, the love Nigerians have lost hope. Uh, they just believe not just Nigerians, young people all over Africa. They just believe that nothing good can come from government or nothing good can ever come from their country. Um, just to I always feel. I always wish I had opportunity for them, for me to share more, you know, with them on and encourage them, you know, that, listen, guys, if you change your mindset, maybe you change your orientation to more of trying to seek solutions and more of trying to contribute to your quota. It may be hard for you to do it in such a way that you want. I was just lucky to be able to, you know, get here and support. But if you start from your community, your household, your community, you will be surprised the kind of impact you would make and it will go a long way in also moving your country and the, and the continent you know towards that development that we all aspire for awesome excellent well thank you so much dr sanasi Yari. um uh, do you want to say any parting words to our listeners just to thank you akin for um this wonderful initiative you've taken and that you're doing um even though you're not uh in the country with us uh, trying to solve the problem directly but in your own way you even aside from your work you're, you're doing this you know just to uh, share information and i think it's really important for people to know what's going on um, in, in in this part of the world and i appreciate you for giving me this opportunity um, to talk about the agency share my story and i hope that it's, uh, it's going to inspire a few people and motivate them to 
also come and contribute their own quota. So I just wanted to thank you and encourage you to continue to, right. you know, do this good work that you've started here. Thank you so very much. Well, uh, truly appreciate it. Um, this podcast uh, was built for people like you to share their experiences, especially young thank folks you. who are contributing towards our country, um, towards the good. Um, and, and, you know, to me, I think Africa's salvation lies in people like you doing their best and contributing in different ways all over the continent. I don't think that we're going to get any uh, messiahs that are going to come and save any country or continent. I think it's each Thank person you. contributing their, their very best Thank in you. their expertise um, towards the different parts. You are a model for, I agree. for what we hope to um, to to have our future look like so thank you so much for coming on um guys this is, uh i can't be idea really and dr sanusi or here 